Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, Northside Numbers Game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is now part of the Bleacher Bunch Productions group on the Fans First Network, joining great shows like The Sun Ranto Show, Cup of Cubby Blue, and Baseball Rabbit Hole. This podcast is now being cross-posted to the Bleacher Bunch feed, available wherever you find your podcasts. Starting in January, Cubs PS Plus will be posted exclusively to the Bleacher Bunch Network and my Patreon feed at cubspsplus.patreon.com, where you can support the show and always find ad-free episodes, along with other features starting as low as $1 a month. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter, X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, the spend on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Love the pod or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Welcome into episode 61, the Braylon Marquez episode of this podcast. Braylon wore number 61 when he threw two-thirds of an inning for the Cubs back in 2020. After all the great prospects that came up and helped the Cubs win from 2015 to 2018, the farm system really lagged after a lot of trades, and I remember when Braylon and Adbert Azale were really the only hope in the system. Unfortunately, Marquez stacked up too many injuries and is no longer with the organization. It's hot stove time, but the fire is just getting started, so it's still a little chilly in here. Not much is happening yet outside of a few moves here and there. All the big guns are still on the board and everyone, pretty much the whole world, is waiting for Shohei Otani to make a decision. Do the Cubs have a shot? Could they actually land the biggest free agent in the history of baseball? Nobody knows, but it sure looks like they're trying. Let's see what we know about Otani and what other players the Cubs may be targeting. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. It was nice to take a week off. So no episode last week. Spent some time with family. My oldest son was back home from college, so that was great. Watched a lot of football. You'll note the hat if you're watching on YouTube. I'm wearing, in honor of the Iowa Hawkeyes, playing Michigan this weekend in the Big Ten Championship game. It's the hat of my friend Jake has a Hayden Fry tribute band, Van Hayden that uh, made the rounds at a lot of the tailgates this this fall. And I'm just hoping Iowa has a chance. You know, they don't have a lot of offense. We'll see. Could be ugly, but hey, maybe they're playing against the Bears' next head coach. So I didn't record last week. I was ready to go if there was any breaking news uh, with an emergency or instant reaction podcast. I've kind of hoped this week that maybe something would break to talk about. And so far, there's not a lot to talk about. It's hot stove time right now. The stove is sort of lukewarm. Been a couple big signings. Aaron Nola stayed in Philadelphia on a seven-year deal. The St. Louis Cardinals have picked up uh, Sonny Gray as one of the other big moves of the offseason, but their entire pitching staff is you know in their mid-30s. So I don't know. They might be improved this year, but not sure how much longevity is there. With the Cubs, everybody's waiting. The Cubs made the big splash early, getting Craig Council, and now we wait. But the whole world's waiting. The whole world's waiting on Shohei Otani. He's the one that's going to set the market. He's the one that everybody is going to spin off from. So there are a lot of rumors. This is my least favorite time on Twitter. This in the trade deadline, you see all the fake tweets, fake Jeff Passan tweets, you know, fake team graphics, all the stuff just trying to generate clicks that, oh, Otani is signed here or this trade's going to happen or whatever. It's it, it's annoying, but if, if you... Stay with it. I mean, there there is there are some tea leaves to read. There's, you can see where the smoke is right now. The smoke, hottest smoke today, is Cubs potentially trading for Tyler Glass now from the 
um, from the Rays. And but right now, for the most part, everybody's waiting on Otani. There are a lot of other potential moves that can be made. There's Yoshinobu Yamamoto from Japan. Imanaga is another starter from Japan. You know, there are a bunch of players coming over. There's Cody Bellinger signing. There are a number of free agents available, but anybody who's at all in the mix for Shohei Otani is going to wait to see if they get Shohei Otani. Because if you get Shohei Otani, you're probably spending half a billion dollars. You're probably putting out 40 to $50 million per year on an AAV contract. And that's obviously going to take up a big chunk of payroll. So that's going to define what it is you can do. And if you're in the market because you need Shohei Otani's skills, you need that left lefty power bat, you want the hope of that above average, sometimes very good starting pitcher going forward and starting in 2025, you're going to wait. You're not going to go sign somebody and then, I don't know, maybe Otani's interested in you, but you don't have any money left. But if you're interested in Otani and you don't get him, then you've got to look other places to fill those holes. And I talked about this a little bit last week with, or the week before with Greg Huss from Northside Bound, talking through trades and what those look like this time of year. And and that's where the Cubs have been getting the biggest rumors. Obviously, the Cubs are rumored to be in on Otani, and I think they are. But some of the other big moves have been potentially trading for Juan Soto, potentially trading for Tyler Glass now, potentially trading for Shane Bieber. And all of these moves involve prospects. So today I want to take a little bit of a look and go through, you know, what that looks like for the Cubs. I'm not going to map out specific deals. I have no idea. Greg and I talked about that last time. Nobody knows because we can rank values. I can go use a bunch of different sites and figure out equivalent values and say that these three prospects for the Cubs equal this one major leaguer for from Tampa or Cleveland. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, those are values put together by other people. I have no idea when it comes to prospects what Cleveland would be looking for. Would they rather have guys who are major league ready right now and go for more like a Christopher Morrell or a Hayden Wesneski, Luke Little type deal? Or would they want to go more, you know, higher value? Maybe a Jackson Ferris, James Triantos, who, you know, maybe project to have some high ceiling. Maybe they can get more of those guys, but have more of a, a future timeline. So I'm not going to try to map out specific deals, but when you look at trading prospects, I think the first thing you do is you look at the prospect list and across all the prospect lists, I mean, fan graphs and major league baseball pipeline, uh, Kylie McDaniel on ESPN bleacher report, you know, all these lists pretty consistently, you'll see the Cubs in the top five. There might be one or two where they maybe this sitting seventh or eighth, but the Cubs are a top, you know, one of the, one of the top groups in there. And when we go through this, you know, you look at terms of what are those teams likely to use that prospect capital for? So if you're Baltimore, you know, a year ago, Baltimore had the highest ranked farm system in baseball by a lot of measures they still do. But last year they were coming off, you know, a long run of losing seasons, not making the playoffs. This year they were a lot better. They had the best record in the American League, second best record in baseball. So they're kind of in between. They have a lot of young players. They're kind of like the Cubs were in, you know, 2015. Are they going to use those players to still staff up the major league roster? Will they use some of that depth for trade capital? That all kind of remains to be seen. But when you start looking at other places down the list, you know, Boston has a highly rated farm system. That's a team that 
has some holes and they really probably need to make a splash. I think their fans are getting a little bit frustrated. They did extend Raphael Devers last year, but they've, you know, let so many guys go. They've lost Mookie Betts, you know, just guy after guy after guy has left. Xander Bogarts last year. And so that's a team that maybe can use that, some of that prospect capital for trades. You know, Washington, they're, they're in a rebuild. You know, they they went and traded Juan Soto a couple years ago and got a Hall of Prospects back. You know, they're probably not a team that's going to be throwing out a bunch of prospects for trades. You know, Tampa Bay, they're notorious for not taking on a lot of salary. And if they're going to trade Tyler Glasnow away a year before his free agency, then obviously that would be a cost-cutting move. As they're still a very competitive team and you know, obviously made the playoffs last year were the best record and had the best record in baseball for a good chunk of the season. And taking Tyler Glass now off that staff does not make them better. So if you're, they're going to make that move, it's cost cutting. So that's not a team that's going to take their prospect capital and go trade it for somebody who's, you know, expensive. The Dodgers are a big foe in this category. You know, they've got a top rated system. They always do. They're willing to spend money. I think right now, obviously they haven't made any moves either. And they are focused on Otani, I'm sure, like everybody else. I mean, the, currently the the best I can see the last week or so, the teams mentioned most often in conjunction with Otani are the Dodgers, which I think is where everybody expects him to go. And I think would be about the most boring possible destination for Otani. Everybody has assumed he was going go to go to the Dodgers for like the last three years. So I would love to see him go somewhere else. Obviously, Chicago, number one on that list. But we've heard Chicago rumored there. We've heard Shohei rumored for Toronto and Texas. Last couple days, it seems maybe Texas is not as in, but I don't think anybody really knows. In some negotiations, you get some leaks. Pardon me, is that a bit of a cold? In some negotiations, you get some leaks. Sometimes it's from the team side. Sometimes it's from the player side. And usually you have to kind of think through, like, whose interest is that in? Sometimes it's a agent leaking, hey, a bunch of these teams are interested and try to drum up, you know, try to put some pressure on the teams that they know are on the hook to try to make an offer faster, potentially get that offer a little bit higher. In some cases, it's the team maybe trying to make it sound like they're not that interested, maybe try to negotiate price. A lot of times this happens in public, but, you know, Shohei Otani's agent came out and said that he would very much um, desire privacy and discretion during this process. So I really doubt that his side is going to be leaking information and obviously, once he says that, it's not in any team's best interest to be leaking information about the visits or contract offers or that kind of thing. After the fact, we may get more of an idea who was truly involved, who truly made big, serious offers. And maybe we won't. Um, we'll see about that. I imagine we'll, we'll get some indication. So the, the big question with Shohei is timeline, right? And what is his timeline going to be? You know, it, it's up to him. In some years, the top free agents have held on into January and February. But if you look back at those years, those are years where, again, there were some accusations against owners about collusion, about owners kind of collectively kind of tightening the belts. And a lot of that had to do, certainly coming out of COVID, but even before that, they were heading towards the end of a collective bargaining agreement. I think there were, as you get close to that, there are always some apprehension around like, what are the new rules going to be? What's the new revenue sharing going to be? But we saw last year tons of big contracts, tons of guys going over what was projected for them to get. I mean, one of the biggest was Xander Bogarts. He was projected for, you know, seven, eight years at that 
28 to $30 million per year range. He got 11 and over $300 million from the Padres. So money's flowing. As long as money's flowing, there's no reason for these guys to hold out. And Shohei Otani is going to be the biggest free agent prize ever. Um, it may be, even factoring in inflation, it's probably going to be years before somebody else gets a deal bigger than Otani's. So there's no real reason for him to hold out. I don't get the sense from him that this is something he wants to draw out. I would imagine, you know, it's always nice to be courted and and wanted. So I'm sure he's, I'm sure he started with some short list of teams. I'm sure he had some vague idea where he thought he wanted to go, but he'll go through the process. He'll have all the meetings he thinks he needs to have. And then once he has those meetings, whoever is the most in play, I'm sure he'll talk to them and do some contract negotiation and then probably just get it done. There was speculation that would happen after Thanksgiving before the winter meetings next week. And that could still happen. It's Thursday. It's uh, it's at 5.11 p.m. Eastern time. Sort of have a screen open in front of me in case breaking news happens during this pod. Probably won't, but as soon as I stop looking, eight big things will happen. This whole podcast will look stupid after. But so everybody's waiting on Shohei. It would be really nice to just find out. And I'm 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 kind of torn on that because I think the Cubs, I think the Cubs have a puncher's chance to get Otani. I really do. Probably the Dodgers are still the favorite. The fact that there's been a lot of smoke about Toronto in the last couple days may mean something's going on. Again, I don't think anybody really knows the ins and outs of that. I don't think Shohei's side is sharing anything. And if Toronto's side is, if there's some leak on the Toronto side that's spurring all this, then who knows that might hurt him in negotiations. But I think he'll make his decision. If he doesn't, I think it'll happen early at the winter meetings. That That's the one time. This year it's in Nashville. Last year it was in California. But you get all the agents. You get all the baseball people. You get a lot of the players all on site in a conference center. There are tons of meetings. And a lot of opportunity for guys to meet one-on-one with, you know, for Jed Hoyer to have a bunch of meetings with players, agents, all that sort of thing. You know, all the other GMs and presidents of baseball operation are right there and deals happen. You know, that's when John Lester signed. That's when so many of the guys signed last year. And I think that's probably where a lot of the big stuff's going to happen this year. So if, if Shohei Otani goes before the winter meetings, look for things to really, really pick up next week. Um, and then if he doesn't, then I would imagine the first couple days are going to be all about where Shohei going to go. Then after that, I mean, so the Cubs have the Shohei question. I think it's it's pretty clear. We, we've talked about it on the show. Other people have talked about it. Well, actually, let's back up a second. There was a story I wanted to tell. So I read Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, about basically about Tommy John surgery and, and all the stuff that goes into that surgery and the rehab and the process through. But in telling the book, he wrote, he told a bunch of pitcher stories. And one of them I was going to add with John Lester, he talked about John Lester's courtship. So I remember John Lester got traded in 2014 to the Oakland A's when Boston was out of the playoffs. And everybody just kind of assumed that Lester was going to go finish the season with the A's and then go back to Boston. And, you know, Passon lays out in that book after having some extensive conversations with Lester that that's actually, that's what Lester thought was going to happen. He fully expected to, he'd go through the process. He'd listen to some teams. He had a couple teams he was, you know, sort of interested in and, and he thought he'd wind, wind up back in Boston. But what he found was, once he left Boston, you know, he learned it maybe wasn't so bad to not be in Boston. And then when he went to have the meetings, you know, it made it sound like he felt a little bit taken for granted by 
Boston and, and he obviously had a relationship with Theo Epstein who had um, run the Boston Red Sox when Lester was just starting in New York. And so he listened and, you know, Theo put on the big sales pitch. We all know that's something Theo was strong at. Hopefully it's something that Jed Hoyer proves to be strong at. And between things like, you know, tons of beer and, you know, like VR experience of John Lester pitching in game seven of the World Series, which, you know, within 20 months, 22 months actually happened, which is kind of crazy. All of a sudden, Lester was a cub. So even if Shohei went into this thinking, I'll just stay in stay in LA and, and go to the Dodgers. As long as he's meeting with teams, there's a chance. So, you know, insert Jim Carrey give here, but the Cubs then have to move on. You know, if they, if they don't get Shohei, the, the biggest needs they have are a lefty power bat. Ideally two, they lost so far. They've lost Bellinger off of last year's lineup and they really could have used a little bit more. They have positional holes at first base, third base question marks in center field. I know a lot of people are now down on PCA, but you know he got 19 plate appearances in a playoff race with inconsistent playing time at a time when he was, I'm sure, just pressing. As that the longer that first hit took to come, the more he was pressing. And also, this is what he did every time moving up through the system. Every time he would move up a level, he would struggle for a week. You know, he typically didn't struggle for long, but it was, you know, 15, 20, 30 plate appearances before he would kind of settle in and find the rhythm and go. And that was 19. I'm not judging any prospect on 19 plate appearances. So he could absolutely win center field. If not, he's very close. I mean, he put up very good numbers in AAA last year. He tore through the rest of the minor leagues. He's 21 years old, so he'll turn. he'll be 22 next season. He's young and talented and fast and exciting. And I'm still super excited about that. So I, I don't expect the Cubs to go make any major moves for center field. I don't think they want to block that spot up. If they determine that, decide that PCA is not ready opening day, they've got potentially Alexander Canario could play some center field. They still have Mike Talkman. They could run some sort of platoon. Later in free agency or even during spring training, if you think you need to, you can go find a veteran center fielder for, you know, probably a pretty cheap price and just find somebody to help plug a hole for a few months. Cause I'm, it's not going to be long before PCA gets that shot to go take the center field job. They potentially have Matt Mervis for first base, but again, you know, I talked about this back in the um, late summer of 2022, Matt Mervis was tearing up the minor leagues going all the way up and the Cubs ended the 2022 season because of, you know, 40 man roster issues, not ever bringing him up to get a look. Last year he came up and got a look, but it was it was a hundred plate appearances. Now that's kind of the minimum a veteran player will get on a pickup before their DFA or whatever. But on a prospect, so many guys have come up and had a rough season as a rookie or a rough half season as a rookie, or certainly a rough couple months to try to figure things out. You know, everything's different. You know, the velo is consistently harder. The pitches break more sharply. You know, it's just, it's the highest level of baseball in the world. And so the fact that he had some struggles doesn't really surprise me. Um, and he never got a second chance. He went back down to the minor leagues and played really well. Continued to hit, continued to put up good numbers. I think he was just north of 900 OPS after he went down in Iowa. And 
another 16 home runs to tack on to what he hit before he got the call up and what he hit in Chicago. But with the way the Cubs finished, you know, the Cubs need upgrades in this lineup. And maybe Christopher Morrell can play third. They never really gave him any consistent shot last year. I think he played maybe two, three games there. And then at the beginning of the fall, Arizona Fall League, they talked about him playing first base for the Aguilas in Lydom. And I've been following that. He has not played a bit of first base. He's played a ton of third. So maybe that's an opportunity the Cubs have, you know, if they don't find somebody great at third base to plug in there. But, you know, as you walk through the team needs, you know, left field is set. They've got Ian Happ. He's an above average hitter, two-time gold glove winner. You go to right field, you've got Seiya Suzuki. Now the Cubs need to have some outfield depth. I love Seiya. I think he's going to be poised for a big year. I love the way he finished last season. But he's not made it through a full season healthy yet since he came over. So I think he's fully capable. The injuries were not related, so you know there's not some chronic thing. But that, that position's set. I mean, he's signed five years, $85 million. He's got three years left with the Cubs. He's got a no-trade clause, as does Hap. So they're set. You know, up the middle in the infield, uh, Nico and Dansby aren't going anywhere. They both won gold gloves this year, second time for Dansby. They are elite defenders up the middle, and that's what the Cubs clearly sought out. So then you look at the corners, and the Cubs really struggled at first base last year, except for when Cody Bellinger was playing there. And then third base, Nick Madrigal did okay. But if you need more pop, where are you going to add more pop? You know, center field, it looks like it's probably going to be PCA or some combination of guys filling in until PCA is ready. Dansby Swanson is what he is. He's he's going to hit you 25 home runs. He's not going to hit 40. You know, I've, I've talked about Nico Horner being sort of a Ryan Sandberg starter kit, but the difference between Nico and Rhino is Rhino developed that power. And so far... Nico has added some. He's added more gap power. You know, he's gotten in double digits on home runs, but yeah, you know, I don't see him at this point adding the power that Rhino did to take him up to, you know, twenty plus home runs, let alone hitting forty like he did one time. And then at catcher, you know, Jan Gomes and Miguel Amaya. Now Maya is going to give you more bat than Tucker Barnhart did last year, and Jan Gomes is probably due for a little regression to the mean. I talked about it last year. His his leverage statistics were just absolutely bonkers. And totally outside the realm of anything he had ever done in his career. Overall, he had he had a solid season, kind of a league average kind of season. That's kind of maybe what you're going to expect from him. Maybe a slight pullback. You know, he's certainly getting older. But those two combined, I think, as we go through the season, as long as Amaya stays healthy and plays well, I think we'll start to see Amaya transition more into that starting catcher, which will give you a little bit more pop in offense. But you know, so if you're going to get pop in this offense. It's DH. They didn't really have a dedicated DH last year. They kind of rotated through. Christopher Morrell did it a lot. Otherwise, they rotated through, giving guys kind of half days off on the well, in the DH spot. So you got DH, you've got first base, you've got third base, and you've got center field. Again, I think center field is kind of tied up. I don't know that the Cubs are going to do a whole lot there. Unless they do bring Bellinger back, and then maybe Bellinger plays until either Mervis or PCA are ready, and then he plays the other position. But one guy I think that makes a lot of sense that I've, I've heard some buzz about is Reese Hoskins from Philly. He missed all of 2023 with after ha- tearing his ACL. But he's a guy who was always hit for massive power. He's a good hitter. And, you know, he's probably going to be a little bit cheap because of his, you know, coming off the injury. 
probably get him on a maybe a couple year deal. You know, he's not he's not young, but he's not old either. He's I think he's let me look him up. I think he's about 30, 31. Give me a second here. This is obviously great audio while I look this up. Yeah, he's 30. So, you know, he's he's good. I mean, you know, his last full season he had 30 home runs in 2022. He had 27 in 2021. Um, you know, he's 34, 29. You know, he's got good power. He's a career 126 WRC plus, and he plays, you know, not great defense, but good enough defense probably at first base to certainly out hit his mistakes. He'd be a, he'd be a solution. You know, when you look around at some of the other offensive possibilities, one guy talked a lot about is Matt Chapman at third base. He's going to be a free agent coming from Toronto. He's a good third base. He's an excellent defensive third baseman. He's very good defensively. He's a good hitter. He would make the team better. He he's more of like the Dansby profile. Like he'll he'll be a good hitter and he'll hit for some power, but he, you know he's not a 35, 40 home run guy. And he's probably going to require you know a four to six year contract. And when you look at the Cubs system and you look at the infielders they have close to the major league ready over the next year or two, you know Christopher Morel could potentially play third base. Matt Shaw just got drafted last year, but ended the season in Double A on an absolute tear. So we'll see what he does this year, whether that was just a hot streak at the end of the year, whether that's really who he is. Um, James Triantos, who they drafted in 2021, you know, he's moving up the system fast. He had a huge season in the Arizona Fall League. He was the Arizona Fall League MVP. With some of these guys, you know, you look at the infield, second base and shortstop are spoken for for a while. Now, Nico Horner's only under contract for three more seasons, but A, that's three more seasons. And B, if he continues to play like this, that's might be a guy that they probably might look to extend longer. So if you want any path to anybody, you know, you'd kind of leave a hole open or, or kind of half fill it. So I could see them going, you know, if they don't trade Christopher Morrell, I could see them going, you know, like a bring Jamer Candelario back, get some sort of shorter term, a little bit cheaper option there so that if and when Shaw or Triantos or one of these other guys are ready, that they can go. Another interesting thing is Luis Vasquez, who was talked about in the last episode, was added to the 40-man roster. He's always been elite defensively, and now he's on the 40-man. If the bat he showed last year is now really a thing and not just a good season, if he can do that, at some point you start to have some flexibility too where maybe you look at Nico or Dansby and see if one of them can play third base. Now, I don't think that's anywhere on the imminent horizon. I think Vasquez is going to be certainly going to be good depth for a while. I'm curious what that does with Miles Mastroboni. You know, you guys all know I love me some Miles Mastroboni, but he's not going to be a starting third base answer. He's a really good, I think he has potential to be a really good bench utility. Jack of all trades can kind of play all over the field, fill in for injuries, give you a good bat. He's lefty. He's got a little bit of pop. He can handle fastballs. There's a lot to like about that player profile, but I think, that's a bench player profile, not a, you know, starting player profile. And kind of, you know, I could see a scenario where he gets in competition with kind of Nick Madrigal for a roster spot. I think as much as I still kind of like Nick, I mean, he's a good hitter. You know, he's never really hit that kind of 310, 320 plus that he really has to have to cover his lack of power. But he really did commit last year and spent a lot of time working at third base and became a pretty solid third baseman. So that's a potential answer too. You can kind of platoon some of those guys, but again, like that's no boost over last year. That is bringing last year back. 
So somewhere they have to get an upgrade. So Juan Soto would probably go in the, probably would DH most of the time. He's a left fielder who the last couple of years has been pretty awful in the field, frankly. He had a couple good years early in his career, like 2021. He put up some really good numbers with Washington was an above average left fielder, but you know, with Ian Happ, two-time gold glove winner out there, you know, they're not going to move Happ to the DH so that Soto can play left field. They're going to DH Soto. There could be a scenario where Soto learns first base too. He's a good enough athlete to do that, but as they said in Moneyball, it's it's incredibly easy. No, it's incredibly hard. So after that, Otani, Soto, you know, they could bring Cody Bellinger back. And again, like Cody Bellinger coming back is interesting. On the one hand, it's it's kind of funny. They were talking about it on the Sun Ranto show last night, but you know, at the end of the season, down the stretch, and then after the season was over, kind of everybody was in this mindset like we gotta bring Cody back. You know, first thing we got to do is keep Cody and then go get Shohei and, and look at other other things. And now it's been kind of like, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody would like to have Cody back. He, he was a lot of fun to watch. When he's at his best, he is elite. He's excellent defensively in center field. He's excellent defensively at first base. He gives you power. He only hit 25-ish home runs last year, but he also missed a month. You know, if he, if he doesn't miss that month, if he's healthy all season, he's easily hitting 30-plus potentially 35 home runs. And so I would like bringing him back, but you know, he still has had, you know, those two bad seasons he had in a row before he came over to the Cubs actually happened. They're part of his resume and they're part of his story. And that's something you have to think about if, you know, I, mean, I saw fan graphs projection that he would get, um, what, 12 years, $252 million, which I think is just completely off the rails. But I could see him getting anywhere between six and eight years. I could see him getting 200 to potentially even $250 million if there's a lot of competition. Now, this is after Otani, you know, Bellinger is probably the second best bat. And there aren't, It's this is not a deep offensive class. So Cody Bellinger may get more than he might get most other seasons. And that factors in. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about players being overpaid or that's too much for this guy. Number one, I'm very pro players getting paid. I think for generations, you know, baseball players um, maybe at times got taken advantage of by ownership and at times just didn't didn't have the ability to get as good a deal as they have now. Baseball is making billions and, you know, they deserve their share. That that They're the ones that everybody tunes in to watch. I don't tune in to watch Tom Ricketts own the Cubs. I know how capital works, so I get why the system works the way it does. I'm not going to cry about, you know, a billionaire's money. You know, I would like to see Tom Ricketts spend over the CBT first threshold, certainly every year. So I don't, I wouldn't say, you know, that's too much money for Bellinger, but at the same time, no matter where you set your budget, even Steve Cohen for all the money he spent last year, he did pull back the spending once they didn't win. Like everybody has a budget where whatever that budget is. And so if you're going to give Cody Bellinger, you know, six years, $200 million, seven years, 210, you know, something in that $30 million per season. And it turns out that his walk year this year was kind of the aberration. He starts, I don't think he'll go all the way back to what he did in 2021, 2022, because Dustin Kelly worked with him. He really did change his approach. He fixed some things. You know, you could see him shorten up and pop a ball the other way with two strikes. Whereas, you know, the two years prior, those were 
may well be strikeouts because he's kind of just swinging for the moon all the time. So I don't expect him to go back to the depths of that, but I, you know, I don't know if he can be as good as last season. And as he gets older, he's certainly going to want to get Price as a center fielder, which is, if I was him, that's what I would want to do because he's a perfectly capable, perfectly capable, that's ridiculous. He's he's a very much above average center fielder. He showed that time and time again last season. That's what Scott Boris is going to sell. And that's what teams going to have to pay if they're going to get him. But over time, you know, Mother Nature is undefeated. He's going to lose a step. He's going to get slower. He's going to lose some of that defensive ability in that range. And then he's got a heck of a position to fall back on. Like he could play, probably play first base for 20 years defensively. There's not a lot to lose over there. But again, like if he's not hitting at elite levels and he starts being more of a first baseman, $30 million is kind of a lot. But again, it just comes down to what Tom's going to, Tom Ricketts is going to do. If Tom Ricketts is going to spend through some of those things, if bad results happen, awesome. Then go for it. If it's going to turn into kind of what happened 2019, 2020, then coming out of the pandemic where Jason Hayward's contract was a bit of an albatross and, you know, budgets were cut largely because of that and because of some decreased revenues, you know, I mean, the, the world is always going to go through economic ups and economic downs. So if the next time there's, you know, a big economic pullback that's going to hit hit the rickets, if they're going to pull that back, then a big contract for a guy who's not producing enough can't hold it back. So again, like, is, is are they going to think Cody Bellinger's worth it? That's going to kind of depend on how many other teams are in, who's willing to go super huge money. I've heard for Bellinger, I've heard... The Yankees are really interested. The Yankees apparently really wanted to trade for him last year if the Cubs have been sellers. Toronto's interested if they don't get Otani. San Francisco, I've seen some projections of him going to San Francisco. So he's going to have plenty of options, and we'll see what the betting, bidding is there. There was a rumor that came out this week about Toronto potentially being willing to trade Bo Bichette. Now, I find it kind of hard to reconcile that they're, one, in hard on Shohei Otani, and then also talking about dealing Bo Bichette, because I would think, you know, if you're bringing Shohei in, you're going to pay him all that money, even though he's not pitching. Like, you want to start winning now, because Shohei's going to get a long deal, and I fully expect he's going to be really productive through the vast majority of his deal. But like everybody else, production is going to diminish over time, and Mother Nature is undefeated. So you're going to want to do, if you're going to pay a guy $50 million per year, you're going to want to maximize as many of those years as possible. So I can't imagine that they are both going for Shohei and looking to trade Bichette, but um, we'll see. Bichette's a very interesting guy. He's not certainly not as good defensively as, as Dansby or Nico, but you know it, it's not that uncommon for a shortstop to be able to transition to third base. So that's, if the Cubs were to trade for him, that's what they would do. I've also had rumors about some other guys. You know, There have been some rumors about Vlad Jr. Being in the outfield... Trading for an outfielder at this point, unless they don't get Shohei and they're going to have that outfielder play, you know, DH, or if they find somebody who potentially pushes Hap or Saya to DH, an outfielder seems like a funny fit. Um, but the you know the Cubs only have a couple places to upgrade, and then you look at the starting rotation. Talked about on the show, the Cubs need to get more swing and miss, both in the bullpen and in the rotation. I think the Cubs will be in on a number of relievers. That that market will start to sort itself out as we get through the winter meetings. I think you'll see a, some guys start to go. I've seen some rumors about Josh Hader. I could see the Cubs going for Hader. I mean, Hader. I mean, I would love to see a back into the rotate or back into the bullpen of 
you know, Merriweather in the seventh, Alzali in the eighth, and Hader coming in for the ninth. But Hader's, again, going to be, you know, massive deal. When you pay for a closer on the open market, a proven closer, that's big money. Edwin Diaz last year with the Mets, before he got hurt in the World Baseball Classic, re-signed with the Mets for, I think it was five years, $100 million. If it's not that, it was close. So, you know, that's 18, 20, $22 million per year on a relief pitcher is a ton. Now, if anybody's worth it, it's probably Josh Hader. But with the young arms the Cubs have coming, I'm not sure the Cubs would do that. Also, you know, every year at the deadline, there are closers available. So if, if the Cubs get to that point in the season, they're in contention. And I don't know, maybe Adbert's struggling, you know, or, or they just feel like they need that one more piece. I mean, in 2016, Hector Rondon was not having a bad season when the Cubs traded for Roldis Chapman. The Cubs just felt like they needed that one more, you know, one more big gun to slam the door at the end of games. So if the Cubs get in that position midseason, they've got the farm system depth. They can go trade for a closer midseason like they did in 2016. They could also potentially work a deal, you know, in the offseason. You know, and after the 2016 season, the Cubs traded Jorge Soler to Kansas City for the last year of Wade Davis before he hit free agency. And Wade Davis is probably the reason why the Cubs won the division and went to the NLCS that year. I mean, he was absolutely lights out. He was the best closer in baseball. So they have a lot of options other than, you know, going out for the the top guy on the market. But, hey, maybe they will. When you look at the rotation, you know, Tyler Glass now is the one getting the most buzz. We'll see. You know, maybe by the time I record this podcast, there have been a lot of of tweets and a lot of buzz and a lot of smoke today. Sounds like, you know, the Cubs may be nearing in on the deal if that smoke is real. And... He'd be a guy who, you now he's had some injuries. Two years ago, he had Tommy John surgery. So last year, he threw 120 innings, which was a career high. He gets a ton of strikeouts. He's like 630 strikeouts and 520 career innings. So a ton of swing and miss. That's something the Cubs don't have. When he's on and when he's healthy, he really is ace material. So you could look at Glasnow and Steele as 1A, 1B, whatever order you want to put him in. And that would be a really good spot. And, it, you know, he costs $25 million, so that's a bit for this year. But then he's a free agent. So you're only committing to that for one year. So in theory, like if the Cubs were to get Shohei Otani and he comes back to pitch in 2025, he could slide right into the glass now spot and the Cubs don't maybe don't miss a beat. Or by having him around, you know, maybe it's a guy the Cubs decide they want to invest in and, and extend. But either way, he would make the Cubs rotation a lot better in, in you know, 2024. Shane Bieber, they're looking at two. He's under team control for two more years. We've heard the Shane Bieber rumors for years. And I don't know what it would take to get him. He's not as high-end as Glass now, but he's probably a little bit more durable, a little bit more reliable. But he also doesn't have quite as much swing and miss. He's probably a little bit more like the profile they have. If the Cubs were to potentially add both of them, that'd be a great addition. All of a sudden, you know, you get Bieber as your depth add or your three starter which pushes probably Hendricks and Tyone to four five which is a pretty good place to be there's also a couple really interesting starters coming over from Japan Yamamoto I've already mentioned Imanaga is another starter Yamamoto is 25 he's pitched I think two perfect games the last two years he's won I think five basically ERA titles or Cy Young equivalents over there Um, so he's young he's really good and his stuff is nasty He's going to have a lot of swing and miss. He's going to get a lot of Ks. And that's a guy who's probably maybe the next off the board after Otani. I think some teams are going to see, I've already seen a lot of rumors that if the Dodgers don't get Otani, they're going to be in hard on Yamamoto. Would love to see the Cubs get him. 
him and maybe a trade for Bieber. You pick up somebody else on the free agent market to give you more depth in that rotation. Yeah, that that would be amazing. Imanaga is another really good pitcher from Japan. He's a little bit older. He's 30. He doesn't have quite as power profile as Yamamoto, but he's really effective. He's got a really good fork ball. Probably not quite as good as Kodai Senga's, but he's kind of in that in that mix. And he's a guy who could be a really effective starter, especially if you're you know, if the Cubs were to get trade for Glass now and sign Imanaga. I mean, that's cooking with gas, and they would have a heck of a rotation. So a lot of interesting names to look at and see where those go. I think what's exciting is I think we all feel the opportunity that's there this offseason. So the Cubs last year, the last couple of years, they've been selling off kind of the old favorites, and I don't want to rehash that. There's some good and some bad to that. Um, some of the guys who performed, some haven't. Oh, another rumor being talked about is Detroit putting Javi Baez on the block. Would the Cubs bring him back to play third base? I'm not sure I'd do it. I don't know that I'd hate it if they did do it. Um, I loved Javi when he was here. Um, I think to some extent, I think he picked a poor place in Detroit. I think the stadium is huge and doesn't play as well to his game. Um, he's always going to be streaky. He's always going to have those, you know, swing at everything moments. And he's going to be good defensively. I mean, he, when he was here, especially when he came up 2015, 2016, 2017, he was the Cubs' best defensive second baseman. He was their best defensive shortstop. And he was their best defensive third baseman. So he could plug into third base easily. He's got an absolute cannon. And maybe with the energy of the crowd and, you know, getting back into more familiar environments, maybe he could come back. But he's also, you know, got four years, $98 million left. So that's a little over $23 million per year for a guy who's, you know, last year put up a WRC plus in the low 60s. So it's maybe not the best bet, but I'm also not sure he cost a ton. Um, so he's an option. We'll see where they go. But this is an exciting time. You know, they've made the team better. Last year, they were two games from the playoffs. If they make uh, any number of things could happen for two two games, you know, two different decisions. You know, a couple more guys connect on a ball or get a line drive just over the infielder instead of right at them. Um, if the Cubs had any more depth in the uh, bullpen, you know, down the stretch where they didn't have to just run Michael Fulmer and Jose Quas and Julian Merriweather and Edward Azalei and Mark Leiter into the ground. So the Cubs really need to focus on that depth and then get a couple more impact players just to get them that much further. You know, they spent the most, the bulk of last year really running on about three good starters at any given time. I mean, to start the season, you know, Steele was pretty much good all year. Marcus Stroman started off incredibly well. Hendricks missed the first month. Then he came in and pitched really well. Drew Smiley started off really, really well. You know, Tyone wasn't good, and Wesneski struggled to start the year. And then as we progressed, you know, Stroman started struggling a little bit, then got hurt. But at that point, you know, Tyone was pitching better. So, you know, he had a couple. And then there were points in time where Assad came in and pitched really well. Then at the end of the season, Jordan Wicks came in and looked really good in a handful of starts late in the season. So you need to add that up. And, and you look at the bullpen, they obviously need more depth. And some of that, we'll, we'll see what's different with Craig Council versus David Ross. I think they need they need to not rely on, they need to have more than four guys to rely on in close games. I said that all last year. They never developed that additional depth. There are a lot of exciting arms in the Cubs system. I think I'm interested to see how Daniel Palencia looks after a year, you know, to kind of learn how the big league work, big leagues work. And really it was his first year as a relief pitcher. He started the season in, 
even as of early May, he was a starter in double A. So to convert that quickly to the bullpen, throw leverage innings in Iowa, and then, you know, basically 4th of July, get called up and you're in a game against the division leading Brewers and you're in to pitch the, you know, ninth and 10th or 10th and 11th in an extra inning ball game and get the win. That's a really impressive debut. He's got the stuff for it. Didn't have the consistent command that, you know, maybe he hoped he'd have, but that's something he can work through. And I think I'm sure there's some mental approach stuff going on. Same with Luke Little. Like he came in and looked really good at times. Some, this was just in September, but he came up and, you know, lacked some command at moments. But all in all, like I saw a lot to like. And, and I think you had those guys, Mark Leiter, hopefully getting back to full strength and rested, you know, gets that split finger pitch back. Merriweather was great. Alzali had a great year. You like, get those guys back and add more. Add a couple more guys. I'd love to see a couple veteran guys who can come in and whether they're closers or just late inning leverage guys, kind of show those young arms, those young pitchers, the mental approach in a major league bullpen, what it takes to be ready every day. In addition, giving depth so they don't have to run the same guys. On the starting pitching side, you know we've seen it in action pretty much every year, but certainly the last couple, you need to have nine or 10 guys who are capable of starting baseball games going into a season. So you've obviously got your, whatever your rotation is for a top five and the Cubs at the moment without signing anybody. And I'm I'm sure they'll make moves, but they have Justin Steele. They have Jamison Tyone, Kyle Hendricks, Javier Assad, Jordan Wicks, Drew Smiley could start in a pinch. I think we're going to see him mostly out of the bullpen. Ben Brown, Hayden Wisniewski, Caleb Killian, and Killian struggled when he's been up in the bigs, but you know there's still he's had his moments in AAA. We'll see if he can get that command back, but you know he's an option. Cade Horton is flying up through the system. It would not surprise me. You know Greg and I talked about him a little bit last week, but it would not surprise me at all to see him, but certainly in Chicago by midseason. But get more. You know, to to get more, you might have to trade a couple of those guys off. And, you know, if it means, you know, if getting Tyler Glass now means Hayden Wesneski goes to the Rays, you know, or or somebody else, like, that's that's fine. I really like Hayden Wesneski, but Tyler Glass now right now is probably better than Hayden Wesneski is ever going to be. And that's not a shot at Hayden Wesneski. Tyler Glass now is an amazing pitcher. And I think fans, it's very easy to look and, and kind of, undervalue what a number three starter is or number three, number four starter. That's a guy that you can count on to go out every fifth day, throw you five, six innings, sometimes seven, get outs, keep you in a ball game, give you a chance to win. That is so hard to do in baseball. And so the idea that, you know, some of these guys might project only as mid rotation guys, you know, I, I don't like the word only in there because that's a really good pitcher. The Cubs may, you know, guys who project to be frontline aces, at any given time, there are about 15 in baseball. We could we could debate what the definition of an ace is. I don't just because you're a team's number one starter doesn't mean you're an ace. And some teams have more than one. But at any given time, there are you know 14 to 18, you know 15 ish aces in baseball. So there are 30 teams. Not everybody has one. Some have two. So if you can develop one, that's amazing. And maybe you know maybe Cade Horton is that guy. He certainly looks like he has all the tools. And Justin Steele has become that guy to a point. I don't want to minimize what Justin Steele has done. He's had an amazing year and a half. There are a lot of balls in play. And the one thing that the one reason I don't want the Cubs to add more swing and miss and why they need more 
guys with just nasty stuff to get chase and get with is that balls in play can't dribble into the outfield. Ball in play can't bloop over Dansby's head. You know, can't argue with a strikeout. So we'll see what they do. I've talked an awful lot here for no real news. Hopefully next week, you know, stuff start ha- starts happening at the winter meetings. There's a lot more to talk about. I'll also have some other guests coming on this off season. And I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's gonna be a fun ride this winter. I'm really excited to see what the Cubs are going to look like in 2024. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the Patreon page at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!